0: Okay, so if you would kindly turn to 2 Chronicles, that's where we're going to begin this reading. 2 Chronicles chapter 1, and beginning at verse 1 and going through to verse 17. So that's 2 Chronicles chapter 1.
1: And that can be found on page 308 in the pew Bibles. And if it's not there, it's on page 436. Depends what Bible you have. Solomon, son of David, established himself firmly over his kingdom, for the Lord his God was with him and made him exceedingly great. Then Solomon spoke to all Israel, to the commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds, to the judges and to all the leaders in Israel, the heads of families and Solomon and the whole assembly went to the high place of Gibeon, for God's tent of meeting was there, which Moses, the Lord's servant, had made in the desert. Now David had brought up the ark of God from Kiriath-Jerim, to the place he had prepared for it, because he had pitched a tent for it in Jerusalem. But the bronze altar that Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur, had made was in Gibeon, in front of the tabernacle of the Lord. So Solomon and the assembly inquired of him there. Solomon went up to the bronze altar before the Lord in the tent of meeting and offered a thousand burnt offerings on it. That night God appeared to Solomon and said to him, Ask for whatever you want me to give you. Solomon answered, God, you've shown great kindness to David my father and have made me king in his place. Now, Lord God, let your promise to my father David be confirmed for you have made me king over a people who are as numerous as the dust of the earth. Give me wisdom and knowledge that I may lead this people for who is able to govern this great people of yours. God said to Solomon, Since this is your heart's desire, and you have not asked for wealth, riches, or honour, nor for the death of your enemies, and since you have not asked for a long life, but for wisdom and knowledge, to govern my people over whom I have made you king, therefore wisdom and knowledge will be given you, and I will also give you wealth, riches, and honour, such as no king who was before you ever had, and none after you will have. Then Solomon went to Jerusalem from the high place at Gibeon and before the tent of meeting, and he reigned over Israel. Solomon accumulated chariots and horses. He had 1,400 chariots, 12,000 horses, which he kept in the chariot cities and also with him in Jerusalem. The king made silver and gold as common in Jerusalem as stones and cedar as plentiful as sycamore trees fig trees in the foothills. Solomon's horses were imported from Egypt and from Kew. The royal merchants purchased them from Kew. They imported a chariot from Egypt for 600 shekels of silver and a horse for 150. They also exported them to all the kings of the Hittites and of the Armenians.
0: Um, Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for uh, giving us your word and we pray for ourselves, we pray for the children as well, that as we are exposed to your word now, that by your spirit that you would be uh, informing our minds, transforming our hearts and making us people who live in the wisdom that you provide for us in Jesus and we pray these things in his name, Amen. I too have a croaky voice. Uh, In fact, uh, last Sunday after preaching twice, I went home and I completely lost my voice, almost. I had that sort of squeaky chipmunk, kind of. And (laughs) I spoke to Alyssa on the phone, our daughter, and she said, Dad, you sound so cute. uh, (laughs) That's nice. Um, The the things which we bring before God in our, our personal prayer times really do... Uh, speak volumes in terms of what what our priorities are, what we think is important in life. So we pray for the people who we um, are closest to. We pray for the the issues that are dearest to our hearts. We pray for the things which we consider to be our, our greatest needs. And that's why the personal prayers which are recorded for us in the Bible are immensely valuable to us, uh, whether they be in the uh, stories of godly people uh, such as the prayer of Hannah or in the Psalms of David or Paul's letters as Paul uh, expresses what he prays uh, for the churches. Uh, when we read these prayers, we get to see the, the heart of, of, of godly men and women. And that's helpful for us, isn't it? Because it, it's a, it serves as a model, it helps us to see what things we should be valuing as being truly important. One of the best known prayers in the Old Testament is actually found in today's passage, uh, in uh, 2 Chronicles chapter 1. Which uh, Today we start 2 Chronicles. How about that, you thought we've just gotten through 1 Chronicles? Now it's we're on to 2 Chronicles. Uh, we the the issue is that Chronicles is, uh, as I mentioned before, it's it's really just one book. It's one book. It's one story. You can't do one Chronicles without two Chronicles, and uh, and if you do cr- two Chronicles without one Chronicles, that's like picking up a book and starting reading halfway. It's just a, it's such a long book that took two scrolls to fit it in. So, but it's it's actually as it makes sense for for part one to finish with the death of David, as we saw last week, and part two to to commence with the beginning of the reign of his son Solomon. And so today we start to look at the life of Solomon. But we're not going to get as much detail about Solomon's life as we would if we were looking at, uh, say, 1 Kings, because there's a whole stack of stuff about Solomon that is just not recorded for us in Chronicles. Uh, For example, it doesn't really deal with his polygamy or his idolatry or even the positive things like his um, very wise ruling. Remember uh, when two women came to Solomon and uh, they were having a dispute over who was the mother of a uh, particular baby and um, they came to Solomon to settle the dispute And Solomon said, okay, well, we'll just cut the baby in half and give you 50% each. And, of course, that was very wise because the real mother revealed herself, didn't she? She was the one who said, well, no, 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 give it to her. (laughs) Give the baby to her. We don't find that in 2 Chronicles. Um, And the reason is that the author is not so much concerned about the, the, the details of the life of Solomon... He's more concerned about the fulfilment of God's promises that he made to David. Uh, The promises about um, kingdom, remember from 1 Chronicles that uh, God had promised David that uh, David's son uh, would sit on the throne of Israel and also the the promise about temple that uh, God promised that David's son would be the one who would build a house for God. And so that's the, uh, the emphasis in 2 Chronicles and we see it really in the very first verse where uh, it reads, uh, Solomon, son of David, uh, established himself firmly over his kingdom for the Lord his God was with him and made him exceedingly great. Now there's a couple of things about this verse. First of all, this is a big deal for Israel. Um, Solomon is only the third king that they've had. There was Saul, David and Solomon and Saul becomes the first hereditary king. That is, there is now a dynasty uh, developing, a, a dynasty, uh, the, the dynasty of David. Now, secondly, the phrase established himself Firmly is pregnant with meaning, uh, because it's a real summary of what actually went on. Uh, we know in uh, 1 Kings chapter 1 that David, uh, that Solomon's half brother, uh, Adonijah, uh, he wanted the crown for himself, and so as David was on his deathbed, Adonijah schemed and politicked. Uh, in order for him to be crowned uh, as king. And so Solomon had to deal with that and he had to respond firmly to it. What this means is that uh, that phrase established himself firmly, uh, there's a lot of background to that phrase. But the the chronicler, as we call the author of Two Chronicles, the chronicler, uh, he's actually more interested in what came next. Uh, What would Solomon's first action be as king? I always find it interesting when we have an election here in Australia and you get the results on the Saturday night. It's interesting to see what the new Prime Minister does Sunday morning. Have you noticed that? The image, because it creates an impression of what kind of leader that they intend to be. So the, the image of the Prime Minister on Monday morning, dressed in his suit and tie with his briefcase, heading off to Parliament House to get down to, to work, uh, or even stopping by at church on the way before heading to the office, uh, that's, that's a good image, or well, for some of us that's a good image. Uh, you, you normally don't see them on the morning after heading off to play a round of golf, do you? Or you know, flying off on holidays or going on a cruise. That's not really a good look, as much as they probably deserve it after an election campaign. Now here, Solomon is not interested in the look. Uh, In verses 2 through to 6, what he is interested in in is doing exactly what his father David had instructed. Um, Back in 1 Chronicles chapter 22, uh, David had ordered all of the leaders of Israel to support Solomon in the building of the temple and, and I quote, to devote their hearts and their souls to seeking the Lord their God. That's number one priority. That's top of the to-do list and that's what Solomon does. So with all of the leaders... He goes to the town of Gibeon. Now, Gibeon is uh, located, or uh, they estimate it was located just north of uh, Jerusalem, uh, seven, eight kilometers or so north of Jerusalem. So it's not a long way to go. But you'd you'd want to ask the question, well, why would they go to Gibeon? Because hasn't, in 1 Chronicles, the big deal been that David has bought the Ark of the Covenant from uh, uh, from uh, from Kiriath Jabin up to Jerusalem uh, that was a big deal that he did that but Solomon's not going to the ark of the covenant to worship God to seek after him instead he's going to Gibeon and that's because that he's not going to God empty-handed he wants to make a big sacrifice And that's where the tent of the Lord is, the tabernacle that Moses, they took through the desert. And the altar uh, to the Lord is located in Gibeon. And so that's where they go. Because it's not just about prayer, it's also about sacrifice. But prayer is a big thing. And on this great occasion of becoming king, what did Solomon pray for? Have a look at verse 7. That night, God appeared to Solomon and said to him, Ask for whatever you want me to give to you. Uh, In 1 Kings chapter 3, we learn that that happened um, in a dream. But how about this, eh? It sounds like a blank check, doesn't it? Ask whatever you want me to give to you. Imagine yourself in that situation. What would you ask for? What would you pray for? Or imagine if his half-brother Adonijah, who selfishly tried to take the crown for himself, politics schemed, um, backstabbed, undermined. What do you think he would be asking for? Well, what do modern-day tyrants value as being important? How about power and control? <laughs> That's what they're after, isn't it? Uh, Retaining authority, uh, squashing dissent, imprisoning your political opponents or worse, and corruptly um, acquiring wealth for yourself. It's interesting seeing the scenes coming out of Malaysia a few weeks ago, wasn't it? The, The deposed Prime Minister and the police going to his house and apartments and taking away Um, dozens of boxes full of treasures uh, that he had accumulated for himself. Now, Solomon's prayer at this point in life reflects a very different heart to that. Um, In verse 8, Solomon answered God, uh, saying, You have shown great kindness to David, my father, and have made me king in his place. Now, Lord God... Let your promise to my father David be confirmed, for you have made me king over a people who are as numerous as the dust of the earth. Sounds like a fulfillment of a promise, doesn't it? Give me wisdom and knowledge that I may lead this people for who is able to govern this great people of yours. Now, Solomon knows the character of God, doesn't he? He knows that of God's loving kindness because he's seen how kind God has been to his father, uh, David. And he also knows that God is faithful to that which he promises. And so this covenantal relationship is a very good basis upon which to ask God for the the wisdom and and the knowledge that he's going to need in order to lead Israel. So what is wisdom? How would you define wisdom? What, what is a wise person like? In the Bible, there are different kinds of wisdom that are talked about. Um, there is the wisdom of the world. Uh, in one sense, that might be the, uh, the wisdom of the philosophers, the the man-made understanding of how things work. Uh, or it might be uh, that the wisdom of the world is, is how ungodly people um, behave so as to get what they want to get out of life. But godly wisdom will mean having a good understanding of the world And applying that knowledge rightly, it is the right application of truth. That is wisdom. Um, So that in life situations, we will apply what we know in order to achieve good outcomes which reflect the character, the will and the purpose of God. Now, that's, what's the opposite to wisdom? It's foolishness, don't you think? There's the wise, wise person or there's the fool. And a fool may be someone who is not even interested in knowledge. They're not even interested in understanding things rightly. Uh, there's a, a proverb I like which says that a fool is wise in his own eyes. <laughs> Uh, you know, he's—he thinks he's smart. He doesn't. He's not interested in what other people have to say, even experts on the subject. He's just going to go ahead, uh, uh, whatever. But a fool may also have knowledge. He may also have truth, but not put it into practice. Not apply that truth in a way that's going to be helpful. Um, in fact, um, Solomon's own son, Rehoboam, as we find out later on, uh, he was a fool. He was not a wise man. He, he had an important decision to make about taxes and he sought advice. He sought advice from uh, older men who had a good understanding of, uh, of people and of, uh, of the situation and he he sought advice from his mates he went through school with, and he rejected the advice of the older men, who understood things rightly. He thought that their opinion wasn't worth having, and as a result, he lost half the kingdom. So he had knowledge, but he didn't apply it. He was a fool. In godly leadership, as in life for all of us, There's no manual, there is no uh, reference book that we can refer to which gives us God's answer to every uh, dilemma or every tricky situation that we might find ourselves in. And so what we need is to understand the character and the purpose of God and then don't ignore that but to apply that knowledge in the situation in which we find ourselves in. Now, the Bible says two important statements about wisdom. One is that the fool says in his heart that there is no God. That's from Psalm 14. The fool says in his heart there is no God. The other is that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Now, to say that there is no God, that's an expression of sin. Uh, people who say that there is no God say that because they actually don't want there to be a God to whom they must submit their lives. Uh, in Romans chapter 1, Paul says that God has made himself known uh, through the, the creation so that Everyone can see that there is that there is a order and design in the creation; that there is a creator. But there are people who consider that that is knowledge which is not worth having, and so they they choose to live their lives rejecting the knowledge of the one who created them. That's foolish. For life is then lived in darkness, in ignorance. In ignorance of the very purpose of life. And indeed, in ignorance of the day of judgment. However, wisdom begins when we fear God. That is, we not only know that God exists... But we revere God. Because plainly, uh, God is the creator of the universe. And he is beyond our, his greatness is beyond our comprehension. He is our creator. And th- through his dealings with Israel, indeed, Solomon saw through his dealings with his, his own dad, David. Uh, God has revealed to us his righteous character. We know what God is like by his dealings with men. And so to fear him is not merely to be afraid of him, but to acknowledge who, who he is and acknowledge who we are in relation to him. So that to know God and to revere him becomes the framework within which we do life. The framework which enables us to understand our world and to understand ourselves rightly and to understand God's grace and mercy so that we're in a position to navigate ourselves through the complexities of life, and to do so wisely, to do so in ways that achieve outcomes that uh, fit with the plan and the purpose of God. Godly wisdom means that we can understand the purpose of life and that there is a day of judgment, which I think is also a very good reason to fear God. Actually uh, Solomon, um, uh, it's believed, wrote the book of uh, Ecclesiastes and Ecclesiastes is a pretty dark book to read really because it sort of it looks at all of the things which we people uh, wrongly value in life and uh, strips those things away to to get to the core of what life is all about and in the end... Solomon wrote this, he says, Now that all has been heard, here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it's good or evil. You get that? Fear God and keep his commandments, this is the whole duty of man. It's what life's about. Solomon got it right, didn't he? If he was to lead God's people well, then what he really needed was not um, prestige and power and military might and wealth and material things. What he needed most was wisdom. And that was his prayer. So, how did God respond? Well, have a look at verse 11. God said to Solomon, since this is your heart's desire and you've not asked for wealth, riches or honor, nor for the death of your enemies. That's an interesting one, isn't it? Um, And since you have not asked for a long life, but for wisdom and knowledge to govern my people over whom I've made you king. Therefore, wisdom and knowledge will be given to you. And I will also give you wealth, riches and honour such as no king who was before you ever had and none after you will have. How about that? Um, God gave Solomon amazing knowledge and wisdom. In, in 1 Kings chapter 4 we're told that he became a scientist, basically. That he, uh, that he developed this encyclopedic knowledge of, of plant life and of animal life, of, of the natural world. And, and we know that um, he wrote literally thousands of Proverbs, wise sayings. This is why we have a thing called the Book of Proverbs. Indeed, the leaders of other nations would send their key people to Jerusalem to sit under the, at the feet of, of Solomon in order to hear his wisdom, so that they could take that wisdom back to where they came from and help their leaders to govern wisely. I think it's, uh, it's really interesting Then, when we as Christians uh, live wise lives and actually when we speak, we speak thoughtfully to people and make good decisions that over time we may find, and we do find, that non-Christians will actually come to us when they've got a problem, because they know that we're going to give them helpful advice. And that way we can be a blessing uh, to people. As what we see here is that um, uh, God's promises to, to Abraham are being fulfilled because he promised a land, a people and a blessing. And here we see that Israel is now being a light to the Gentiles. Israel is being a blessing to the other nations through the wisdom of Solomon. But notice that God also gave Solomon what he didn't ask for. He didn't ask for power or wealth or prestige. And yet God in his kindness gave him wealth. I think that this is not unlike the promise that Jesus gives us in Matthew six, where we're told well, that as Christians we ought not to be craving after uh, material things and money and possession, if as if that is going to uh, give us, uh, you know, our our identity, uh, our fulfilment in life, but rather as we crave after. Uh, God's kingdom and God's righteousness to to be putting God first and making good, wise, godly decisions and living that way, then guess what? God is actually going to give us the things which we need, that we weren't craving for. We're not going to become rich like Solomon, but God will take care of us. He'll look after us. But God did give Solomon amazing wealth, um, which would be handy in building the temple. But we see in this passage here that the wealth kind of overflowed. So that it wasn't just Solomon was wealthy, that the whole city of Jerusalem became wealthy, and Israel became the greatest nation in the world. Let's just look at one little bit of that. Um, Verse 15... It says that the king made silver and gold as common in Jerusalem as stones and cedar as plentiful as sycamore fig trees in the foothills. I'm not sure about the sycamore trees and the cedar, but I do understand silver and gold, don't you? Uh, As plentiful as stones. I read an account of a uh, guy who migrated to America in the 19th century to New York. He said, before I came to New York, I thought the streets of New York were were lined with gold. When I arrived, I discovered that they're not lined with gold, that there were no streets. It was my job to build them. (laughs) Well, it's not like that here, is it? Uh, There's wealth which is just flourishing in Jerusalem. It's flourishing. Now... It didn't last very long, though, because, like all of us, Solomon was a fallen human being. And sadly, over time, sin took root in his own heart. And he began to love the things of this world more than the God who made the world. He began to love many foreign women... And then he took on board their idols and he finished his life half-hearted for the Lord. However, God's promise of wisdom is open for us as well. If the beginning of wisdom is to fear the Lord, then what does it mean for us to fear the Lord? It It must involve understanding two important aspects of the character of God. And that is that God is both righteous and also that God is just. Now, some people say that we're not wise at all. That if you're a Christian, you're a fool. I mean, you know, that uh, you know, you're off with the fairies. You know, you're believing in this imaginary, you know, friend of yours who lives in the sky. Who you talk to every night and, and so on. Uh, you might as well believe in Santa Claus or the, you know, the flying spaghetti monster. And, and they mock us. They mock us. They do mock us as fools. Um, even worse, that we believe that this Jewish carpenter who lived 2,000 years ago, that somehow he's now the ruler of the entire universe. I mean, how crazy is that? How foolish. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul says, and I quote, The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Because on the cross of Jesus, everything that there is to revere about God, or to fear about God, um, God's righteousness and God's judgment they come together, don't they? As Jesus, God's own Son is judged, is punished in our place that the righteous requirements of God are met fully in Him so that our debt is cleared so that we can now be reconciled to God. Um, Paul goes on to say in 1 Corinthians 1 that That if we are in Christ Jesus, then he has become for us wisdom from God, our righteousness, our holiness, and our redemption. Have you noticed that when we place our trust in Christ, when someone becomes a Christian, and I guess I speak from my own personal experience here as well, that the world starts to make a whole lot more sense. We we understand our origin. We understand our sin and the reason why we have problems in this world. And we understand our future. And this becomes our framework for life. So that we become wise. We're in a far better position to, to navigate life towards godly outcomes. Do you feel wise? Do you think of yourself as wise? Would you like to be a bit more wise? Well, I've got some good news for you. And let me just leave you with this. The, the, God's promise to Solomon is offered to us as well. Um, James chapter 1. James says, if any of you lacks wisdom, are you in that category? (laughs) If any of you lacks wisdom, what should he do? Ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. Solomon, we see, is the classic example of that. So let's pray for wisdom, shall we? Let's do that right now. Father in heaven, we thank you so much that you have revealed your character and your purpose to us through the scriptures, through your dealings with Israel, and most clearly in the person and the work of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, who has become for us our wisdom. Father, we pray that we would be people, men and women, uh, for, for whom life is viewed through that which you have revealed to yourself, uh, yourself to us. Uh, Help us to understand our origin in you. Help us to understand our sin. Help us to understand the redemption that Jesus has won for us on the cross. Help us to understand your grace and your mercy. And may we be those who make decisions and take actions in life that embody your character and live in the light of the fact that Jesus is coming again one day. Father, we pray for wisdom, and we do so in Jesus' name. Amen.